Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. Today's guest is a writer at Liberty Ballers. He's formerly of Clipperholics and FanRag Sports, and he's one of the nicest guys on NBA Twitter. It's Tom West. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, this is really cool for me because you live in the UK, right? Um, you live yep. in uh, England? Yep. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I live in England. Yeah, fairly near London. Yeah. That's awesome. I've uh, never left North America, and one of my destination cities is uh, London. So I really want to go there sometime. Um, I guess I guess since you live there your like, whole life, it's uh, probably not as exciting to you. But is there like one thing about um, living in the UK that, you're, like, that you absolutely love as compared to like maybe some other places in the world? <laughs> asking someone like myself who really wants to travel the world uh, <laughs> i probably can't give the best answer to sell the uk um but london is a really good city you know you mentioned it as a place you'd want to go there's loads to do um so i think having some big cities like that that are fairly nearby me which is fortunate is good um obviously you've got the coastlines and stuff which let's say if i was living in the middle of the us i might not be able to get to so easily so there are perks like that yeah um, but I want to go across the pond the other way and do a bit more traveling around America because I've only been to uh, Vegas very briefly, um, went to LA for a little bit, and I've seen the Grand Canyon, but that's all. So I've got a lot more I need to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, feel bright, feel uh, free to drop by Canada sometime too. It's uh, pretty cool here. We've got some nice yeah. stuff. Um, everybody always talks about the the U.S. when they come to North America, but uh, we have, we have some cool things. I guess I guess Toronto is the main thing, but. Um, we, there's some other uh, some other interesting stuff about Canada, but I guess if you were going to the United States, um, uh, I mean, I might just be guessing here, but would you want to be going to Philadelphia right away? Uh, that would have to be on the list, yeah, especially now I'm covering the Sixers. That would need to be on there. Um, New York, obviously, as well. I mean, yeah. I'd kind of like to do a bit of a road trip someday. How feasible that is, uh, I have to see, but I would like to see as much as I can. And, and Canada's definitely on the list as well. I need to get up there at some point. Yeah. We had, well, you know, we have uh, we have a lot of igloos, so I'm sure they'll be able to find one. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, speaking of Philadelphia, um, and uh, of course you're a writer about of the Sixers, and um, the piece I have on here to talk to you about today is uh, the one you did recently on Ben Simmons called uh, Sixers Playoff Lessons: How Ben Simmons Can Improve His Game with More Than Just Shooting, um, which is a really interesting. Um, article to write because everyone always talks about Ben Simmons is shooting and you know um the I had the fact that if he could just shoot threes or you know people even talking doing the daring him on Twitter to shoot threes I dare you to shoot threes coward and blah 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 um but it but there's a lot more to his game I mean he's a rookie so there's a lot of stuff he can still um that he can learn uh so I guess the first thing is um, you kind of go in sections in the piece, um, talking about, uh, his, uh, his game. And the first part is off ball screening and cutting. And this was like really interesting to me because this is something that, uh, so as a Raptors fan, when I was writing, um, early last preseason about, uh, the Raptors and their new offensive scheme system that they're putting in, 
Um, DeRozan has never been a good off-ball player, and yep. uh, I had a whole article writing about how, and this was before we knew he was going to suddenly become a great, a really good passer. Um, I, I was writing about how he needed to become uh, somebody who moves off the ball better and and cuts more, and you know. So I suggested looking at film of Dwayne Wade because Wade's one of the best off-ball players in NBA history. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. And so yeah, you were writing about the same sort of thing with Simmons. Um, yeah. So I mean, so, you, yeah. you bring up Wade, um, yeah. and I was listening to the JJ uh, Reddit podcast a while ago that they did with Ben uh, Bill Simmons. I had to get the names mixed up, and he even mentioned Wade then, you know, as a great cutter. And I think Ben just needs to try and sort of become more active off the ball um, in the playoffs. I think, the, I mean, the Celtics having the league's best defense is going to mess with anyone. Um, the Sixers are inexperienced, and we ultimately saw how that kind of brought them down obviously there are other issues as well like Simmons lack of range and that enabled the defense to just sag off him and kind of build a wall across the paint but I think yeah similarly to DeRozan he can be more active off the ball even if he can't spot up um he's so athletic and gets the rim so quickly on cuts um and finish so well around the rim you know he was about 74 percent within three feet during the regular season if he can get there it's going to go in most of the time um and that, you know, is something he just kind of needs to work on. Um, I mentioned in the piece that playing off Embiid isn't always the easiest thing, uh, just because he's not the most aware or willing passer. Sometimes, you know, the offense can become a bit of a black hole when he gets the ball on the low block and he's just looking to shoot. Um, he's not always going to find the open man and sometimes he's not looking for the open man, which is a problem. And, you know, you can see why maybe sometimes Simmons kind of gets caught standing around. But there are other times where he can definitely be moving more and screening as well is the big thing, I think, just because, you know, Simmons is unlike any other point guards. There aren't other point guards in the league right now that are 6'10", uh, well-built, and they can, you know, set huge screens and help free up shooters that way. Um, and I think that's just something that the Sixers need to get more creative with, and he needs to be more active with himself looking for what he can do. Um, because he can still be a positive, even if he can't space the floor from three, he can still set more screens for shooters and help get them open, um, which is just something he didn't really do much of in the playoffs. So I'm hoping that's something that the team works on over the summer a little bit and tries to engage him in that way for next year. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things you mentioned um, that they do try to do, Brett Brown tries to do, is um, they have him sort of uh, along the baseline on the weak side. Yeah. And uh, when when someone gets doubled or... Um, it, it, when there's an opening, he kind of springs towards the basket and they know he's going to be along the baseline because it's something they've worked on. And then somebody, you know, whoever's getting doubled or whatever will hit him with the pass and then he can just pretty much go up for an easy dunk. Um, it's interesting, like, they have one of those. Um, you'd think that if if he's willing to do that and it works when it, um, you know, some of the time, obviously it's not something you can just run all the time. Um, it's mostly on based on circumstance, um, but you'd think that he'd be uh, he'd be willing to do more stuff like that instead of just kind of standing around. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it, it comes and goes. I mean, he's willing sometimes. I think part of it as well is is creativity because you know, like you were saying, it's called the, the Birdman Low Zone, as Brett Brown refers to it as, um, just so he can sprint in for those quick dunks along the baseline, and it obviously works. But there needs to be more movement than that because if if Ben is hanging around the baseline, you know, from 10, 15 feet away, 
the Celtics are still going to sag off him and, and they could clutter the lane that way. And I, I looked at a clip in the piece where Simmons is kind of originally in that position and he kind of moves into a post-up with Jalen Brown and he just kind of brings all the defence into the paint and Sarich is on the opposite side of the court trying to post up Marcus Smart and there's just nowhere for anything to go. Um, and I think that's where he can, you know, he can back out, he can maybe set screens at the top of the key, um, you know, try and free up shooters around the arc and that sort of thing because if he is going to try and cut it can't always be. It can't always be along the weak side baseline. Um, so that's when he kind of needs to learn how to adjust and, and read the game on the fly, off ball. You know, we know he's such an amazing passer uh, when he's controlling things, but it's just off ball. I think, you know, learning in the playoffs against the Celtics, that's a good experience for him, and he can learn from that uh, moving forward um, to read on the fly. But I think as well, it's going to come down to how Brett Brown gets creative with him and maybe sort of intermixes a few different things because um, they can use him more. It's just getting creative. And obviously I mentioned we have no idea if LeBron is going to come to the Sixers, but if he does, that's going to be far more important because there is going to be the issue of LeBron needing to get his turn running the offense as well. And Simmons is going to need to operate off of him. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff that like, I think the shooting will, um, you know, probably take a little while to, have it fully come around to him like I think he's going to work on it and eventually he'll be you know I think he hopefully will at least get to a place where he's serviceable but he's definitely going to try more than in this rookie season like there wasn't a focus on that this rookie season um but yeah like if LeBron comes like you're saying like um LeBron's always thrived best in systems where it's him and shooters uh and Simmons isn't a shooter yet so you know, he'd have to figure out um, a way to be productive off-ball 100% if LeBron was there because LeBron is just going to dominate the ball quite a bit. Like, they might switch it. He might be willing a bit to switch it up more, like, kind of like Chris Paul did with James Harden. But, um, yeah, I think I think that uh, he would have to... He'd have to... I think just mostly, yeah, cut more. And, like, uh, yeah, setting screens is definitely important with, with LeBron, but, like, the cutting is definitely something big um, because he also doesn't really have that mid-range game sometimes when he's cooking he takes a couple mid-range shots um and they'll fall but just because he's kind of feeling it already um he doesn't really have that much of a mid-range game like when LeBron and Wade were playing together like Wade didn't have the three-point shot but he um you know just uh, going along with his great ability to cut and move around off ball he also had the mid-range game um so you know that's something that um Simmons would have to work on but cutting 100% like so and I looked this up cuz I was really interested in it when I was reading your piece but during the regular season uh he was in Ben Simmons was in the 88th percentile for cuts on cut plays um made about 1.48 points per possession um uh, but he only had those plays happen at a 9% frequency so not very often and then in the playoffs uh he fell all the way down to the 10th percentile um, and was going at about an 11% frequency. So about at the same rate, but it fell all the way down because he was playing better defenses in the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. But like, but the idea is there that he can do it. Um, it's, he's been pretty successful when he has done it. It just hasn't happened very often. So they definitely, uh, I think Brown should definitely look at, um, like you're saying, finding more ways to get him involved, um, to keep him interested when he's not on the ball and uh to keep them moving because even as they're currently constructed they do have a lot of guys that that space the floor like that was part of the idea right yeah exactly um because you know they i mean for now they've got reddick they've got bellinelli and um, they've got Saric who shot so well from three this year that was that was 
you know, a great surprise for Sixers fans that he went up to be like a, a really uh, good, reliable 40% three-point shooter on a high volume of attempts. Um, and Embiid can, you know, sometimes, he's still not a good three-point shooter, he's well below average, but he can at least keep his defender out there a little bit, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, at least that threat helps keep up a little bit of space um, in the paint um, for Simmons to cut. But even just, you know, if he was playing with LeBron, you know, just thinking about the pick and rolls that they could run together where, you know, he can hit Simmons on the roll. And then if Simmons can get the defense to help, how easily he could just kick the ball back out and find one of those shooters, you know, the the possibilities are really there. So they could use him like that. And if I think, like you were saying, it's the frequency with the cutting that is the main problem. He can do it. It's just looking to do it enough um, and in enough different ways um, to maximize it. So I think I think there's no reason why he can't work on that going forward. He's still so young. Um, some people were really laying into him through the Celtics series, just saying that he hadn't shown up. You know, there were some really dumb takes, like it was, you know, mm-hmm. as bad as LeBron in the 2011 finals, or that it's one of the biggest, <laughs> you know, shortcomings from a player in the playoffs and this sort of thing. But I mean, he's 21 years old. Yeah, yeah. There's only so much you can expect from him. And, the, the, you know, he was one of the main reasons why they even got to the second round in the first place. So he's going to be fine. There's just little things on his game that he can work on. And seeing as, you know, it's something that's a bit more mental as well as, you know, just physical, as long as he has the mindset to do it and get creative with it, there's no reason why he can't become even better. Yeah, I mean, he's a rookie. Um, he's one of the most poised rookies I've ever seen. Um, and people can talk about all they want about how he was in the league for a season and blah, 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 blah. But he was a rookie. And, uh, you know, it's it's different when you're out there as a rookie trying to do stuff that you um, have never done before and you're playing, like, at such a high level that you've never played at before. Uh, he, it's interesting, like, even amongst just all the players in my mind that I can think of, like, in recent history anyway, um, I've never really seen guys bounce off of a player like they do with Simmons, <laughs> except for LeBron. Like, it's so LeBron-like. I see so much of LeBron in his game. It's wild. It is. It's crazy. I mean, and to be that, well, you know, to have that physicality at such a young age and to be so comfortable with it, like you said, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, he's, he's so good getting to the rim. Um, and, you know, another one of the things I talked about was using his left hand more and getting comfortable with that inside. If he adds that, uh, you know, he, there's no reason why he can't be LeBron-like, in, you know, when he's attacking the basket. Um, his efficiency was so good this season already, even though he was favouring his right hand so strongly and he has no threat of a jumper to, you know, have his defender stuck on him so he can just nip past. He's always got guys sagging off him at some point and he was still so efficient inside. Um, it's crazy how good he was already. Yeah, he, I mean, I couldn't believe how often he was finishing with dunks. Like, it's one of those things where, like, you see dunks and you get excited. Like, this guy dunks, like, every other possession. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, like, he just keeps going. Like, uh, and it's fun, but at the same time, it's like, I've never seen this many dunks. Like, it's like DeAndre Jordan, but a guard version? Like, weird. Like, just that how many yeah. dunks he's doing, except, you know, Don, DeAndre Jordan's not nearly as good. Um, but, yeah, when you're talking about, like, the hands, that this fascinates me. So, like, do you think, uh, do you think he's shooting with the wrong hand? What do you think? I do, yeah. I know Kevin O'Connor's been the big sort of leader of this yeah. argument for a while now, but I do. I think he does so many things right-handed. You know, he even threw the pitch at Philly's game recently right-handed. 
he goes to his right hand so much inside. I mentioned some of the numbers in the piece. And, you know, if you take away two-handed dunks and tips, he pretty much always went right-handed inside. It was almost, it was pretty much hard to find him going for a left-handed layup in the playoffs. Um, he almost goes, he almost went out his way to bring the ball to his right. And quite a bit of the time, that wasn't the right thing to do. And he made the shot tougher and missed. Um, and I just think if he's got that much comfort in his right where he's looking to it all the time even someone like you said you know who's so physically gifted to attack around the basket and he's still needing to switch up and go right whenever he can if that's where his comfort lies shooting I don't know why he doesn't apply that to his jumpers as well um especially because he's going to be working the range out for a little bit anyway he's not going to start jacking up threes and he's got to find 25 foot range suddenly with his right hand that he's not used to at all He's going to work on it incrementally and build it up. So I think, you know, it would be nice if he started shooting right-handed. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Because um, Brett Brown said that there's going to be, I think it was strong refinement of his jumper over the summer. And he's going to work on it with the shooting coach. Um, and they might bring in some other coaches around the um, to work with him in the summer as well. Sort of additional guys to help with his shooting form. I just don't know if they're going to make the switch from left to right. But we'll have to see <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those things where, like, I, I think it was even before the finals. I don't even remember anymore because it's been, like, such a blur. But uh, there was video. There was a video. You probably saw it. It surfaced of Ben Simmons just shooting threes. Like, we were already at that point. I was like, are we in yeah. August? Is it August already? <laughs> oh, man. it's. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to get a video soon of DeRozan shooting threes, too. Um, yep, it was, like, one of those things. And it's interesting. You, uh, in the article, you said that um, had that, ama- that really cool stat where Simmons is uh, – he shoots way worse with his left hand, like you're saying, than with his right hand. Like, he takes a lot less shots as well, but also, like, 29% in the playoffs series was that, I think that's against Boston, right? Um, yeah. And he's shooting, yeah, so 29% with his left hand. Like, I didn't realize it was that, that bad. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that was through the entire playoffs. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And he, and he had a good first round series as well against the Heat, you know, he scored pretty well then. Um, yeah. And pretty much all those left-handed attempts, I think there was four dunks, off the top of my head, and then I think all the rest were mid-range jumpers, bar about two. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty, you know. If you take away the fact that he shoots his short jumpers left-handed, like ninety-five percent of his attempts around the rim were right-handed, um, which is pretty crazy uh, for someone who can get up so easily. Um, you'd think he'd go, be comfortable going to his left a bit more. Um, so I think it's more evidence that he should be shooting right-handed. Um, but we'll see what happens. I think he, even, you know, if he doesn't switch shooting hands, though, I still think working on his left is something that he can improve on anyway. I mean, it's just, it's a small adjustment and it's something that, you know, he can work on in the summer. It doesn't have to be game experience. Players add to their games all the time and he's still only 21 years old, which is why I'm so confident that he can make some of these adjustments. Um, I think I think he'll be just fine. <laughs> some people are way too critical after the playoffs, so... Hopefully the piece and, you know, people get some perspective and kind of calm down a little bit if they were going a bit over the top. Yeah, it's interesting. Like some of the clips that are in your article too remind me of um, just like, so like when I play pickup, I'm like, I'm terrible with my left hand. I'm right hand dominant. And I just like growing up, I just never learned how to play with my left hand. And it's interesting, like how Simmons kind of, um, he does similar things kind of when he plays. He like, obviously he can use his left hand, but uh, he will force a lot of shots to his right, even when he's initially like going left or 
um, should be able to use his left hand to finish, and then he'll make it much tougher on himself and, like, try to finish right and then kind of get into these weird, like, bizarre, um, little, slightly, like, acrobatic finishes around the rim just because he's trying to finish it with his right instead. Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of weird because um, I'm not really sure why because, I mean, he can use his left hand. I guess he just isn't as comfortable, I don't know, even though he shoots yeah, left-handed. I mean, it's it's weird. It's, I'm not really sure what to think of it. Yeah, he can go left-handed, and, you, you know, he, he shoots his jumpers with that hand as well. Um, so it is a bit puzzling. I mean, I've obviously not broken down the numbers from the regular season or anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some of it may be mental. Some of it may be, I don't know, he, he's a little more rattled in the playoffs, you know, mostly against the Celtics, and he just... He went to his comfort hand, you know, without trying to, and that altered some of the shots in that way. And it's not just because he can't use his left hand, but um, it's it's definitely something he'll need to address just because it makes him more predictable. Um, and he needs to add some other scoring things in his game as well. You know, he needs to work on his floaters and, you know, his pull-up game, you know, shooting around the elbows and that sort of thing because um, he's not going to be able to get to him every single time. And the more diverse you are as a scorer, the better you are, you know, you see it with DeRozan as well, even before he tried to add the three more this season, he still developed, you know, elite footwork and that sort of thing, so he could mm-hmm. still be amazing at what he does do well, even if his game is limited, and Simmons can be the same even if the jumper's not there, he can add more inside, and hopefully the left hand is one of the main things he works on. Yeah, well, one of the biggest advantages of Simmons, like, being like a 6'8", or 6'10", I guess, 6'10 point guard, basically, is that, um, I mean, he can take smaller guys down on the block, and, um, you know, I don't, I haven't really noticed how much, he doesn't really need, I guess, too much of a post game when he's down there, he can just kind of overpower them, but, um, but that kind of stuff is important, um, and I think one of the most interesting things to me is, like, for adding stuff inside, is I think he's already kind of, um, he might not even know it, but like pretty close to developing a floater just because like he takes so many of those um, kind of swooping one handed shots, you know, where he, yeah. he kind of he kind of looks like he's doing a sky hook, but it, it's it's a little different. It's more like a layup than a sky hook. Um, but he comes around, and he's like swooping in a lot. And um, and also, like I mentioned earlier, he sometimes uh, when he gets when he's feeling it a little bit, he'll kind of take some of those moving mid range pull ups. Um, yeah. Kind of like, kind of like LeBron does when, like LeBron picks it out specifically, and it's part of his game now. Um, but like, you know, he'll come like cutting across the key, and then he'll turn around and pull up on the move. Um, like I think something like that is something like Simmons could do because he kind of already is doing like a similar thing right now. He's just not as good as it yet, good at it yet. And um, I think part of that is too his shot. Um, maybe his shot just isn't. Uh, as fluid yet as it needs to be because it's one of those things too you, when you watch him as like at the like at the free throw line he's not a great free throw shooter um but part of that is he's just a little mechanical and a little clunky when he shoots um yeah. i think some of that stuff is just fluidity and things but like the stuff around the basket like the the floater and um the, the running jumper kind of thing i think i think he's actually closer to that than a lot of people think maybe and that that really would open up this game I think so. I think so. Um, the float is a big thing I want to see. And like you said, he does. Kind of, he did kind of go to those quick sort of turnaround jumpers sometimes in the playoffs. Like at one point he had two back-to-back against the Celtics. And, you know, it's like, who are we watching suddenly? Um, mm-hmm. And he did, he did kind of go into quite a lot of, I mean, they weren't, they weren't always good shots and some of them were really ugly misses, but he kind of 
would come across the lane, turn, maybe put up these little push shots or these long hooks. And you can kind of see it's something he's going for. He just needs to work on the touch to get there. But if he can barrel down the lane, knock a defender off balance with his size, like you said, guys just bump off him and, you know, like LeBron, if you can put guys off balance and turn at 6-10, the amount of separation he can get on those shots, you know, within 10 feet is ridiculous. Um, so if you can work on bringing that touch further from the basket, it's easy for him to get good looks. It's just the touch to finish them off. Um, floaters, pull-ups, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting. It kind of feeds into the next point, too. Like, um, your next point was about uh, attacking mismatches. Um, it like some of this stuff like should almost doesn't matter with him. Like we're, we've been saying about him, like guys just bouncing off of him. Like your um, one example in here is that well, when like Shane Larkin got a switch onto him, and um, that's like a mismatch that Simmons should be attacking right away. Um, so the interesting part, of course, is like why isn't he attacking it right away? Because like you mentioned, he sometimes like sometimes he'll do it and he'll just attack, and it usually works when he does. And then other times he hesitates. And um, I was trying to figure out why. And really, like the only thing I could think of was, I mean, he again, he is a rookie, and I wonder sometimes, especially like in the playoffs, maybe he's just spending too much time, kind of um, like trying to compute what the best option is here, um, especially in like a scenario where, um, like I think that Larkin scenario was like. Uh, the switch happened because uh, JJ Redick was coming up around a screen um, yeah, and trying yeah. to get open, and like that, that could be something where maybe like Simmons is maybe he's looking around, being like, okay, maybe Redick's um, going to be open, and I can fire it to him, and that's a great look for us and stuff. And I just wonder maybe if this was something that like he's not used to, so he's spending too much time computing instead of just attacking, um, which is something that like. Uh, again, you can't compare this at all, really, to LeBron in 2011. But if you really wanted to and stretch it, that's what people say it was the main issue with LeBron, was that he was taking too much time, and he ended up just getting in his own head, but taking too much time trying to figure out what the best option was to attack. And um, sometimes I wonder if... Um, and, and it makes sense with rookies, like, uh, he's, you know, trying to figure out the best defense in the league. Uh, you know, that's that, that could be something that's just kind of shaking his confidence and um, maybe making him go away from just attacking somebody like Shane Larkin immediately. Yeah, I think it may be some of that for sure. Um, you know, like you said, they're playing against the league's best defense and they're very quickly, I mean, you know, a few of the games against the Celtics were, you know, close and they had fourth quarter leads, but it was an incredibly tough series throughout. And I think it may, it may have been just a matter of him thinking, okay, we need to run our offense. We need to get the best option. And sometimes he wasn't aggressive enough to think, me getting a mismatch on Shane Larkin is a really good option. Yeah. If the offense could create that after working and moving for 10 seconds, that's that's a good result. He can barrel down the lane. You know, I included an overtime score he had on Larkin where he just cruised right down through the paint, easy layup. The size mismatch is just too much, and there's no way they can stop that um, without someone, a defender coming over and helping, fouling, and then he can pass to the open man. So even that creates something else. Um, but I think it may, yeah, like you said, it may have been just him trying to think we need to keep running things and it's not on me to just keep scoring, learning that sometimes him being more aggressive is an answer for the Sixers offense is something that he'll hopefully kind of realize and come around to, um, going forward because sometimes he was just too passive, you know, 
And that linked to the other thing with him picking up his dribble too early. He'd kind of dribble around for a little bit, take some time off the clock, and then he'd pick up his dribble. And that just let all the defenders get in place, it slowed things down. And he totally removed his option to do anything with the ball. Um, and I think it, he just, yeah, aggressiveness is something. Um, and that's mental, um, whether it was trying to wait for a better option or just the, the moment getting to him almost, you know, or the defence getting to him. Um, I think it's something that will change. Um, I have every confidence in that. I'm not sure why anyone would doubt that he'll come around. He's so young, he's so inexperienced. You know, we always say rookies are not meant to be good in the playoffs. Not everyone can be like Jason Tatum um, and just play like it's nothing. But I think he'll, he'll, you know, he'll make the adjustments he need to. And most of it is mental because he can do it. Even if he doesn't expand his game, he can still beat guys like Shane Larkin inside when he wants to. It's just a matter of knowing when to do it. Yeah, and even Jason Tatum, like, uh, I, like I heard probably all the same things you did online about like people, you know, especially Boston fans being like, "Oh, Tatum's see, Tatum's really better than Simmons," and blah blah blah. It's like, okay, but uh, Tatum didn't have nearly the same role as Simmons on his team, and like there were a lot of games where Tatum wasn't great, and like nobody cared because it was made up um, in some way or another by you know, somebody else on the team or their, their collective defense was just so good that they were still in a close game and people didn't really talk about it too much. Um, or, or the immediately the narrative became like, well, they are missing their two best players. Whereas like Simmons had the ball so much and like everyone expected him to do, um, amazing things because, you know, he's the probable rookie of the year and everything. So I, I kind of feel bad for him in that way, but I guess that's just, that's the way the NBA works, um, for fans anyway. Yeah, I think I think it almost, in a way, it didn't help either with that issue that he had such a good series against the Heat as well when they beat them in five games. Because coming into that first round matchup, you know, some Sixers fans, you know, everyone thought the Sixers would win, but some fans were a little more cautious that you know this is Spolstra, the Heat are experienced, they have versatile defenders, they've got you know Richardson, they've got James Johnson, they had a kind of team that that could cause the Sixers a few problems and, you know, be more of a nuisance than you'd like for a first-round series. Simmons ended up being totally fine. They won in five games and they moved on. And that probably made people think that there should just be more of the same in the second round mm-hmm. without realising how much better the Celtics are and how much better they are defensively, how well-coached they are. Um, it was almost, you know, people got away, people got ahead of themselves. And at one point, you know, you could think, oh, yeah, maybe the Sixers can make the finals. You know, it's all lining up for them. The Cavs defense sucks. You know, LeBron can't do everything. And yeah. you just get, you know, NBA fans are prisoners of the moment. And it's hard to avoid sometimes, but I think that didn't help either. Yeah. Yeah. What a weird Eastern Conference playoffs. I had the, uh, I picked the Sixers, by the way, in the Boston series. Um, I didn't think it'd be a short series, but I, I did pick them. Um, I underrated Boston like pretty much all year after those injuries. Um, so I'm curious about this again. We, like we, we mentioned LeBron and how like insane he is and how crazy his run was. Maybe the greatest single player run in the postseason ever uh, that we just saw. Do you think? I, I, so as a fan um, and someone who covers and writes about the Sixers, are you like? Would you want? it sounds weird to say, but would you want LeBron to come to Philadelphia or is it even more exciting and intriguing to just kind of, just kind of let the process go on its own 
and um, let what you've got kind of develop and, you know, pick up a free agent here and there and, you know, that's like solid to add to the roster kind of thing. Like maybe a better replacement for Amir Johnson or something rather than just like bringing on LeBron James and um, going with the circus that, that that kind of brings. Yeah, I was thinking about this a bit earlier, actually, and I'm kind of coming around with the argument that Paul George is probably the best fit for the team, okay. even though the ceiling's obviously higher when you have LeBron mm-hmm. because he's the best player in the world, and there's no way you aren't better off with him on your team at some point. Um, but I do think, you know, as good as it would be for the Sixers being able to contend um, and, you know, how well it could work, you know, I'm sure it would be great. It's, it's LeBron that figure it out. Him and Simmons are both incredibly smart players, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there are there are some fit issues, you know. Simmons Simmons's need to sort of improve off the ball as a screener and a cutter, like we've talked about, that's accelerated right away if he has to play with LeBron and do that more often. There's obviously the spacing issues with if you have both Simmons Simmons and Embiid off the ball next to LeBron at the same time, their defenders can just sit back. Um, Embiid, you know, he can hit threes, but he's not a major threat from there. You're not going to worry about him. You can put more emphasis on stopping LeBron. Um, And again, it also doesn't help, you know, Simmons' growth quite as much if he has got to sacrifice plenty of touches to LeBron. So there are some fit issues there. Obviously, Simmons can improve, like I'm sure he will. And, you know, they can stagger him and LeBron a little bit to kind of help with that and make sure there's always an elite point guard running the team. Um, but there are some fit issues and Paul George, you know, like people thought about when he joined the Thunder, it's a kind of seamless fit in that he can play off the ball, he can spot up, he can run, you know, some pick and rolls, he can be a secondary ball handler when need be to help ease a load on Simmons, but not take over as much as LeBron Woods. He can create off the dribble because that's something the Sixers really missed in the playoffs, someone being able to create their own shot uh, from inside and outside. Um and obviously, he's an elite defender, which helps with some of the issues they had, you know, when Marco Bellinelli and uh, JJ Reddick got attacked um, by the, the Celtics. In particular, they're really seeking out mismatches to get those guys. And you know you're going to get elite defense with Paul George, and he addresses so many of the issues uh, that they have on the offensive end without taking away too much from Simmons. And I think that's probably the best fit if we're going to talk about how well things could work at least right away next season. Yeah. For Paul George, I like the only thing that I think about with him is, um, that's interesting is just because like, this is a young team. And so like right now or this past season, anyway, he played in OKC with, uh, basically his peers. Um, Mello's like, you know, on the, on the sort of older generation of stars kind of, and we, we saw, you know, what happened to his game and everything. Um, but he was definitely sort of, I think, felt like it was him and Mello and Russ, and they were trying to figure it out all season. I wonder, it, it might be seamless, maybe it wouldn't be, but I just wonder if you put him on a team with a bunch of guys who are younger than him, and you kind of ask him to be like, uh, more like a second, third option type player, like, just not having the ball in his hands as much, maybe. I just wonder how that would sit with him. Um, like, maybe he'd be totally okay with it. I just I just wonder, like... Because, you again, you'd want to rather have in that scenario... I, I agree with you, like, it, um, it fits really well on paper, the idea. Um, but you'd definitely have, like, Ben Simmons having the ball in his hands a lot in those situations. 
because um, if he if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, it's the same thing with LeBron. Um, but like Paul George would have to buy into like this is my role on this team is to be like it's like an OKC role except that instead of um, Russ dominating the ball, who's like one of his peers, it would be um, Ben Simmons a lot, who's much younger than him. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be growing pains when there's you know a free agent move that big and they're joining a team with talent. If they go to the Kings, Paul George can do whatever he wants and have all the touches he likes. But yeah, there definitely would be some you know things to work through. Um, I think it is interesting in that you know things with the Thunder just did not work out this season. Um, offense, you know, Melo was obviously a big disappointment for a lot of people that you know wrongly thought he was still a star um, obviously that's not the case yeah um but I do think it's certainly going to be an easier fit with Paul George um mm-hmm. just because he is you know he is still so good off the ball whereas LeBron you know obviously he's he can do what he wants off the ball as well but he is best creating the offense and running um you know running things with the ball in his hands um and obviously you know, LeBron needs his rest defensively, whereas PG could keep that up a bit more, you know, at least through the regular season, um, which is obviously another bonus. Um, it's, it's so hard to know where they're going to go at this stage. I mean, I saw, you know, a comment from Woj, uh, from Woj that, you know, the Rockets and the Lakers are probably the front runners at this point for Paul George. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been hearing for ages that he wants to go to the Lakers. So how realistic it is that the Sixers actually get him you know, it's it's hard to tell. Maybe it is because he's not interested in joining a team with two young stars that he would need to learn to play behind at times. But I think, you know, if he could have the right mindset and they have a bit of time to work things out as they would, I do think it could end up being a really almost perfect fit in time. Um, but, you know, all big changes like that do need a few months to settle in. Yeah, I like the fit. Um, I think it's a better initial fit than LeBron for sure. Even though you know you put any LeBron anywhere, like I, we like we've said, that he's gonna figure it out in some way. Um, I just I, one thing that this is like a selfish thing for me as like just a basketball fan, but like um, Simmons aside, I think like giving LeBron somebody like Embiid is like awesome. Like that's terrifying. Like LeBron having a serious rim protector threat is like that's a big deal because he hasn't had a lot of those throughout his career and when he's had an actual big who can kind of hang around the rim and stay on the floor against opposing teams um and it'd be so fascinating to see him beat against uh, the warriors in a seven game series um but uh yeah like having having somebody like that behind him would like i, I just think that'd be such a such a crazy game changer like even seeing what he did in these playoffs like virtually by himself and without any real rim protectors at all and all that kind of stuff um just the idea of lebron playing with Embiid is like just basketball porn (laughs) (laughs) it's mad i mean yeah thinking about what they can do offensively is is crazy but yeah just having that rim protector behind him so you know if he does get beat there's someone there to help and the Sixers have a really good defense. They had a really good defense this season. They've got yeah. a lot of length. Um, they do have a couple of smaller guards, but you know you can throw out lineups with Simmons, Covington, Saric, LeBron, and Embiid. And you know if if LeBron switched on, that's five positive six eight plus defenders all at once. Which is, I mean, if you're talking about building a, a lineup that is you know physically built to challenge the Warriors, that's it. Um, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I kind of want it to happen just <laughs> just talking about it. <laughs> It'd be really cool. Um, okay, so I've got to ask you this too because this is interesting to me as a Raptors fan, and I've talked about it with other Raptors fans, but I've not actually talked about to a Philly fan about it. Um, so this is one of the potential like off-season deals for the Raptors that have come up, um, a semi-realistic one. If uh, if the Raptors want to go this direction and um, sort of the same for the Sixers. So, like, say the Sixers strike out on LeBron and uh, Paul George. Um, and the Raptors are looking to move Lowry, who's a Philly guy, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, say that uh, the Raptors are trying to offload Lowry and they, um, the potential deal with the Sixers is Lowry for... Uh, Fultz and Covington, and then like uh, like a Jared Bayless type contract to make the money work. What what do you think about that as a Sixers fan? I wouldn't like it. No, I wouldn't like it. Are you? How, I mean, how do you feel about Fultz? Are you still are you still on on him? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a you know a Sixers fan per se. Um, okay, just just because I'm running out the team, so I'm I'm not you know I've not been following the team for years and years as a super fan. Uh, so there's probably a lot of people that would have maybe a different perspective than me. So maybe I don't know. <laughs> you I'm might, a, you a might have a better patient. perspective that way, actually. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just a little calmer about things. Or <laughs> but uh, I still believe that folks can can make things happen. Working with Drew Hanlon is really good news. Yeah. Um, that you know you couldn't really ask for anyone better for him to start working with this summer to help with his shooting and his game overall. Um, so that's good. Um, and we almost forget that he did actually have a surprisingly strong finish to the regular season when he did mm-hmm. come back for a few games. You know, he had a triple-double yep. to end the season on. He he was kind of using his length and athleticism fairly well defensively. He was reading the floor pretty well. He was passing well. He hardly turned the ball over. Um, he had some decent mid-range pull-ups. Um, his shot actually looked all right on a few. Um, obviously things totally changed in the playoffs. I mean, I don't really think that was ever a surprise. Um, no. His three-point shot was never there. He played two really tough defensive teams. It was always going to be crazy tough to expect him to just come into that atmosphere with hardly any NBA experience and, and be fine with it. Um, people compare him to Tatum, who'd been playing high minutes all season under probably the best coach in the league. Mm, yeah. It's... You can't compare the two, so that nope. got a bit out of hand. Um, but I think with the idea of trading for Lowry, I just think, I mean, Lowry's really good. Um, I'm yep. a fan of Lowry. Um, you know, he's a good defender. He he could work really well off of Simmons as well. He's, he's such a good three-point shooter. He's really smart. Um, and he can create a bit as well off the dribble, which would help. Um, having, you know, someone who can create out the pick and roll next to Simmons so it's not all on him would be something really nice to have but it would just feel like such a disappointment after the idea of LeBron or PG yeah I think to end up with Lowry him being you know on the tail end of his prime he's getting older he's making so much money mm-hmm. um, even though it's not a long-term deal he's still making a lot of money yep. um, and I, I don't think he's he's perfect for the team I think that's still, again, that you have the idea that he's taking the ball away from Simmons a bit, and I don't know if he's right enough for the team to make that worthwhile. Yeah, I, I totally understand that from um, Sixers' perspective. Um, makes sense. I'm also team faults still. I think that uh, he's gotten an unfair shake, and the whole thing with the shooting 
was so weird um, this season, and I still don't really know it, even, like, keeping track of all this stuff and reading Kyle Newbeck's stuff and everything, and I still feel weird about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think he, he still has a lot um, a lot to give, obviously. He's a rookie, so, you know, and what we did see, there's some nice flashes, and um, he, he always has... Uh, you know, his, like, he, he still has, uh, like, what was that, that video came out recently, did you see that video where he's doing, like, the insane dunks and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, like, like, he's still, he's still a great athlete, he can still pass, Yeah, he could still be a positive defender, for sure, with his size, um, he can still, maybe, maybe things bottom out, and he just ends up being, like, a, a good backup, and that's all he is, because he can't shoot. Yeah, but even still, that's not nothing. No, that's not nothing. I mean, obviously, that's a huge disappointment after the expectations that he had before the draft when he could shoot, and he just seemed like the most sure pick in a while, and a, and an obvious franchise point guard. Obviously, that's a big step down, but he's not going to become nothing. Yeah, and I do have confidence that the shot can still can still come along. I don't think it's it's gone. He's still so young. There's so many years left ahead of him, ideally, and he's working with the right team now, uh, with Drew Hanlon. I, I'm, I still think there's plenty of reason to feel positive. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's weird. Like I, I, w- I was saying, like when you um, watched his game in college, he looked like a great fit for the Sixers. Like I, I totally understand why they took him first overall, because um, he was like a really good shooter in college, um, and his shot looked fine. And so I. It's just it is just sort of a bizarre situation that it it like it seems like his shot just kind of went away, which isn't true. It, his shot just doesn't go away, but because we know he can get to that level, and has been at that level before, and like you know is so young, I I don't see a scenario where he never does that again. Like that be that would be shocking to me more than him uh, doing it again, you know. So I feel like he's eventually going to get back there. And from what little we saw from him, I remember like in one of the first. Um, preseason games or was it maybe it was summer league um and he was playing with uh Simmons and he knows how to move off the ball he has like natural instincts of where to go off the ball he was making a lot of nice cuts um and I I like that um when you know they they didn't the Sixers didn't play Fultz and Simmons together very much uh during the regular season when he came back they staggered the minutes instead which is I understand um, but if they were playing together, like that's at least something that you can hang your hat on with faults is like, he, he knows where to move and he has the instincts, not just to stand there. So I, I still think there's a lot, a lot to like about faults. So, um, I, I think he's, he gets a lot of, a you know, too harsh a criticism. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, I think we just need to be patient as this, it was such a weird season. It was, it was pretty much a lost year, um, by that little sort of comeback in the end of the regular season. Um, I think next season is the real start. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully, I mean, he's got a few months now to work on the shot. It can come along. I mean, obviously, there's so many question marks as to how it will be. And I'm, I, I don't think he's going to be shooting threes or anything, you know, to come next season. Um, but there's no reason why he can't come back better than he was and have, you know, sort of more semblance of a good shooting form than at least we, we've seen. Um, it was better than it was before when he came back. Um, obviously, there's a huge mental aspect as well, like just not shooting is a problem. Um, even if he can hit a jumper, if he's not willing to take them, then that's that's as big a problem as you know being able to make them or not. Um, so there's a lot there and there's a lot mental 
um, and he needs experience to help come over that. But I think I think he'll be fine. Yeah, it's weird how shooting is a thing with the Sixers, isn't it? It's just like Simmons is shooting as <laughs> a thing, Fultz is shooting as a thing, Covington, people were criticizing him because he kind of yeah, fell off a bit yeah. in the playoffs, and it's weird. Yeah, Saric is just like the hero. He came in, he's kind of like just below average as a rookie, oh, lights man. out like over five attempts per game, just draining them around 40%. I love Saric. Uh, yeah, he, he's out. Oh yeah, I think everyone loves Saric. I don't know how you can't love Saric. He he does he pretty much maximizes what he can do. Yep. I mean he's got his limitations defensively. He's not the fastest guy, you know. He's not great on drives and that sort of thing. But I mean he does so much and he plays so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a great he's a great piece. Yeah, and dude. developed so so quickly. Uh, his second season is yeah. it's really impressive. Yeah, dude gives a hundred percent every single time. He's so awesome. Um, I also love how like excited he gets about stuff too. He's like <laughs> he's just always hyped. It's like he has like one like crazy hustle play and he's just screaming. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. He, yeah, he he's just he's just so he provides so much energy for the team and, and Reddit was saying um on the Bill Simmons podcast as well. He was just saying like Sarich is the funniest guy on the team, without doubt. Um they just really <laughs> like him. Um and yeah, it's, it's a really fun piece to have. And thankfully, he is the one you can count on to hit some threes. So that's always nice. Yeah. Um, definitely uh, bank on Sarge going forward. Uh, so um, I do have to ask you this too. Is Did you pick Simmons, Simmons for Rookie of the Year once the regular season was over? Yeah, yeah, I think that was a decision that was made up way before the end of the regular oh, season. Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, I mean, yes, Donovan Mitchell was amazing. Um, yeah. I. I, I can't say anything negative about him. He, you know, he was way better than, than anyone thought he would be. Um, and it's amazing what he did carrying that much of a scoring load. You know, you can talk about his three-point efficiency if you want to, but, I mean, the, the difficulty and the volume he shot at, it's amazing how good he was. Yeah. Um, he just should not have been able to carry a load that big uh, for such a limited offense in terms of, you know, shot creation and that kind of thing. Um it's amazing, but I just think Simmons, you know, he was almost all defense level at that end of the floor, which, you know, no one really saw coming. Um, he was so versatile in that regard. Um, the passing uh, was just incredible. Um, he could just do do everything except shoot. And I think, he, like you said, he was so poised. Um, I think his control over the game and his decision-making just consistently got better throughout the season. He felt more and more in command of the game. Um, he, you know, had that great streak to end the season where they they won eight or so games without Embiid, and Simmons was just absolutely, um, you know, locked in at his best. Um, and he really did everything you could have expected. It's like I said, except shoot. Um, I just thought it was a fairly easy choice. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go with you. Um, I was one of the people tooting the horn of saying. Simmons is the rookie of the year, like, uh, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the season. It might have been even earlier than that, but definitely before the end of the season. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, waited longer to say definitively for sure what it would be for them. I felt like uh, Simmons just had it already by that point. Um, and a, lot, a large part of that was due to what no one... Um, that people don't really talk about much, which is the defense, like you mentioned. Like, he's such a good defensive player. And for a yep. rookie, I mean, uh, that's like that's huge. Like, everybody wants to talk about how 
fantastic um, uh, Mitchell is offensively. Um, which is great, and then they just compare the offensive numbers with Simmons. But like, yeah, the, there's which is fine. But then there's the whole other end of the floor, and it's not like Mitchell's a terrible defender. Um, he's not terrible, um, but like Simmons is a way better defender. Yeah, it's um, not close. Yeah, and I not. think that that was a big part of it. Like you said, that a lot of people maybe didn't pay as much attention to. And it's he wasn't just you know good because he was tall and you know he wasn't just blocking some shots like it wasn't about box score numbers at all in that regard. He's so yeah. versatile, he's so smart. Um, you know, good positioning. He can switch across, you know, any position Everything. at times really. Yeah. yeah. Um, he could do so much at that end of the floor. You know, great instincts on steals as well. Um, yeah, I just I just didn't see that coming from him. So that was really impressive. Um, and when you combine that with all the length around him, the Sixers could just be, you know, monstrous on defense at times. Um, and he's only going to get better with his understanding and defensive positioning and consistency going forward. So for that to be, you know, his worst defensive performance, we'll see at least whenever he's locked in and trying. Uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the, I just, I just couldn't believe like how. He never, like you say, like the consistency was insane. Like he, there was never really a rookie wall for him in in terms of not real, not really anything. He really, I guess, but even especially defensively, like he was always um, solid to great defensively. Um, yeah. There, there weren't many nights where he was less than solid. I don't, I don't even know if there were any of them that I can think about. I didn't watch every Sixers game, but every time I watched him, he was playing really hard on that end. So, like, I just, I just couldn't believe. Like again, the. the poise he has is like a veteran type poise for the most part um and he's very like stoic and i've i've said his game before is like um like surgeon like like he he likes to pick you apart yeah um, yeah which is very again very lebron like um and even even on defense he's like that he's just like a wall and uh you just you can't get by him so yeah i agree i also would have picked six, uh, simmons for rookie of the year um no disrespect to mitchell though i love spider mitchell as well he's he's fun um he just had a lot more i think for some fans too he had a lot more of those moments that were like uh you know the the flurry of scoring moments that whereas yeah. simmons is so um again like that um, consistency where he just he just does it over the course of the game but it's constant and it's um you know like well paced whereas Mitchell's is like he gives you a burst here and then yeah. there might be like a, you know a couple layoffs here or there and then bang another burst again um and he's and he's super fearless too taking the big shots which people like even if he misses them yeah, so, exactly. I think I think Mitchell gives you those sort of 30 40 point explosions and people go crazy and those are great, you know, he's such a good scorer, but Simmons is just, you know, 16, 8 and 8, great, versatile defense all the time. And he just never really wavered from that. And he doesn't have, you know, huge scoring explosions, he might have big dunks and that kind of thing. And, you know, he'll have some highlight passes that people, you know, enjoy. But yeah, like you said, he just picks apart teams and he does it so consistently at such a high poise level. Um, that that That's why I think he was... He was rookie of the year. Um, he just, yeah, there was no rookie wall, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Yeah, I'll be kind of surprised if he doesn't get it now, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, one of the things I will always do on this podcast, I like to do, um, 
is ask uh, my guests about um, just writing in general and how they go about it and what kind of feeds into their process and stuff. So, um, like this piece, for example, like is very um, informative and um, sort of instructive and has a lot of a lot of really interesting stuff that fans might not know. Um, so, is this uh, are these the type of pieces that you typically like to write and um, where you're kind of like teaching and uh, learning things about uh, learning things yourself as you go along? Um, or is there another style that you like and you just kind of do this one because that's what's asked of you or, uh, how do you go about, uh, doing that? Well, I think this season more than previous, I mean, I've been writing about the NBA for about four seasons now, I think. Okay. Um, and I think this season far more so than before I started using more video. Um, mm. partly I feel like, because if you're going to do good analysis, you almost have to now to keep up Yeah. just because there's so much good content out there and you, you need to be at least on level, or try to be on level with what everyone else is doing. Um, and I just think it's good to have visual stuff rather than a block of 1,300 words um, yeah. to, to scroll through, you know, with someone describing stuff about a player that you, you know, you can picture in your head, but it's nice to have those visual elements in there. Yeah, and people to, like to, really, to see that. Yeah, and just to really show the intricacies of what you mean rather than, you know, having 100 words describing it so they can relive it in their head, you know, just to put it in front of them and you can see exactly what's happening across the court and what everyone's doing. Um, so I started doing more of that and this, the sort of piece I did on Simmons was part of a series I've been doing uh, called Sixers Perth Lessons where I did kind of want to go into the nitty gritty of what a few guys could do better. Um, so I've done one on Embiid, Covington and Simmons so far. And that is, yeah, really sort of laying it out. A few different things I'd like them to work on, some video stuff um, of how I think they could improve, um, whether it's mental adjustments or things they need to add to their game specifically. Um, and right now, you know, doing about one piece or so a week, so I try and sort of chip away at things um, as I go, just because, um, you know, doing this around a full-time job, obviously you have to fit things in where you can. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't write all day like I used to a while ago. Um, but I think it, it, I do tend to, yeah, focus more on the analysis stuff now. Like, obviously, when I wrote about the Clippers a while ago, or quite a while ago now, um, there would be the new stuff as well you'd have to get in um, and the sort of quick-hitting pieces. But now I like to try and sort of sit down and set into a longer, sort of more thought-out piece that will hopefully teach someone something um, just because otherwise I think it's, it's hard to stand out. And as I can't, you know, do any reporting <laughs> being all the way yeah. over in England, I, I try and, you know, if I can offer any insight, then that's, that's what I'm aiming for. That's the bonus. Yeah. Um, I feel you about the reporting stuff. It's uh same, same thing when I read about the Raptors, it's like what I just go, I have to go off of um, what I, what I see and what I can make a narrative out of um, in terms of like just the, just, you know, exactly what's going on on the floor kind of thing. Um, but uh, so it, do you like, um, do you tend to then sit down and just like write these all at once or do you um, write part of it and come back to it um, and uh, write it over just like a period of time? Yeah, normally I think it's now just because of, you know, time, time constraints it is yeah writing a bit and coming back to it um normally yeah. i do most of my writing before i go to work in the morning and then before i go to sleep at night um so it's a bit spaced out which isn't always ideal mm -hmm. um 
because you know you have loads of time to think about stuff and I find that you always think of a good sentence or a good point that you want to make when you're away from your computer <laughs> at random at random moments where you can't write it down yeah um and you're not even trying to think about writing um but yeah normally it's it's just chipping away um doing bits here and there and then sometimes obviously you know if you get in a rhythm almost you can just whack out a thousand words you know in an hour sometimes um but that obviously doesn't always happen <laughs> how about you um i'm i'm the opposite i need to uh, well it, I, I guess it kind of depends what i'm writing um so if i'm doing something like um similar to like the piece that you're writing where there's it, it's already like in um i don't i don't know if you wrote it this way or not but uh, how it ends up where it's like in chunks like you have uh specific things you're, you're talking about in in pieces sort of um so with simmons it's like breaking down the improvements he can make and you have um blocks so say if i'm like if i'm writing something about um like if i'm writing a list like if i'm ranking movies which is something i'm doing right now actually working on um then i then i can i can write those chunks and go away and come back and like write a new one um but for me if i'm like on one sort of idea i I tend to only be able to really just sit down and write it. Otherwise it kind of, it throws me off. So almost yeah. every basketball article I write, I just, I sit down and I write it and I do it all at once. Um, so, you know, and it, depending on um, how well I already know what my topic is and how much research I've already done, it can, it can vary in how long it takes. But uh, yeah, I tend to, I tend to just sit down and do it. That's how I've always liked to be able to do it. If, if I have the time to do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I like doing it that way. Um, but I'm also, uh, I do like to write uh, pieces like this too, like especially in the season when there's you can notice trends and stuff and then you can write about them. Um, but I'm much more of like a, uh, I'm not as good as some people at the very, uh, the very analytical takes and I'm more of a storyteller. Yeah, so sure I will, yeah. I'll write, I'll write in that kind of style more. Um, and uh, so sometimes that's, that makes it easier as well to, uh, to just do it in one kind of sitting because I like to... Yeah you know, open it up and then close it in the same sort of um, yeah. breath. So, I'd, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If I have a sort of thought piece in mind, and it can, it can just flow sometimes, and I prefer to see that in one setting. Yeah. Uh, in one sitting. These sort of pieces, like you said, when it's in blocks, you can do a bit one day, you can do a bit another. You can do some research and video work in the middle and then almost prep for different parts of the article because it is so segmented. And it's easier to do that. But yeah, if it's more of a story or a single column that's not so deep in analysis and you're, you know, you're looking at trends over a couple of weeks worth of games mm -hmm. and working on it over time, it's, it's better to write it in one go. So it definitely, yeah, it depends what you're working on. Yeah. Do you have any um, writing quirks like that are uh, did just pop up and you notice that you only do when you're writing? Because I, I, I have one that I, I, my listeners are probably tired of hearing this already, but because uh, I mention it every time, but um, I can't really write without a glass of water beside me, even if I'm not drinking it. I just need it. <laughs> I just need it there. I don't know why. It's a weird thing. I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I've not really thought about that. There's probably things I do that I don't even realize. It's fascinating because, um, like, every time I have a guest on here, um, I'll have learned, like, all these, like, weird things that they do uh, so that I just, like, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm like, ah, I know what you're doing right now if you're writing. Like, like I think, was it Ty or someone, um, or maybe it was uh, George, uh, but somebody was, uh, they only could write while, like, lying down and they were always, like, on their stomach, so I'm just, like, picturing them just, like, lying on their bed writing. 
um, which is not at all how I do writing. So it's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, actually, yeah, now you mention it, actually pretty much all my writing is either sitting in bed or sitting on a recliner, like legs out, just chilling, okay. typing. So I guess that's a bit of a habit. Um, yeah. Normally try and keep music on. Oh, um, okay. Unless I'm unless I'm doing video stuff, I normally like a bit of background music, even if it like is just instrumental. I find that can often help. Um, and a lot of the time, I just um, I make notes on my phone. Like I just think of random stuff. So quite a lot of the time, when I'm at work at my desk, I'll just think of an idea I need to get down, and I almost write random little bits of articles on my phone in the notes section and then I'll either email it over and copy it into my article like that sometimes um yeah which can be a bit annoying but sometimes (laughs) yeah like I said things come to you at uh inopportune moments and you just have to try and scribble it down before you forget it (laughs) do you get like full lines that you'd use yeah yeah a lot of the time yeah yeah, you hop in the shower and then you suddenly think of something you need to write and that kind of thing yep yeah yeah, that would happen to me a lot uh, when I'd be like, I'd fall, I'd be like falling asleep, and then I'd I'd be like, sleep all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've literally, yeah, I've been trying to go to sleep before, and I've got up for like another half an hour and just written like five hundred words. That's happened happened a lot. Oh, Um, yeah, that happens way too much. It's annoying. (laughs) That's better than me because I usually like I'll be like half asleep and then uh, I'll like roll over and I'll think of a, a great line. And I'll be like, this is the line I need to use. And then I'll roll over my bed and I'll just like, I'll put it in a, in a note on my phone. Um, but I won't like actually get up and write it. I'll just be like, ah, but I know I need to put it down or else I'll forget it the next morning. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, well, I guess I'm going to burn my eyes in the darkness with my phone. And then I'm going to, I'm going to put this line down. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I totally get that. Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, something I also do. Um, yeah, so other than that, uh, I want to thank you, uh, for coming on the podcast, man. Um, I really appreciate it. Is there, uh... No worries, it's been, um, it's been good to come on. Yeah. Talking about writing isn't something I've ever got to do on a podcast before either, so that's always fun. Yeah, man, I, I love the, um, just talking to people about their writing, it's fun. They, they, people write about so much cool stuff, and we don't always get to, uh, to look at all of it, so I like, uh, talking to people about their, the last thing they wrote, and then getting to talk at least always a little bit about how they write and you know why and what kind of things they like to write about uh is there anything you want to plug before we go uh i don't think so i mean i'm probably going to be working on a piece on paul george actually just after we're talking about him just imagining what it would look like if he was playing with the sixes and kind of some of the specifics of how he can help how he'll fit in um how he can work with simmons that kind of thing so that'll probably be coming up maybe end of this week start of next week um obviously at liberty ballers but that's all for now i think awesome well look forward to that um you can read uh tom's piece right now at liberty ballers um it's awesome i really highly recommend it um you can find this uh podcast the writer's right podcast on bumpers.fm or the bumpers app if you have it you can also follow the pod on twitter at writer's right pod where links to the episodes will be posted and uh, links as well to uh, my guest article that they've written. Um, so until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, and you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic, uh, B-Ball Breakdown occasionally, and Scene Creek as well. Um, my Pixar article is coming, I promise, sometime this week. Um, you will uh, you will see it, and everyone will get to just pelt me with their opinions about how I picked all the wrong movies. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>